morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we've been walking through this book and it's been wonderful to hear what you, you've said to us via these words. It's wonderful to think about Paul uh, in his own suffering, caring so much about this church, this Philippian church. And his challenge and all the integrity and the weight that comes with it because of the life that he lives for the sake of your glory and your mission at that time. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are uh, walking with us through all this. You've promised that. We thank you that you challenge us like you challenged Paul in the Philippian church. And we do want to be true followers who do deny themselves, who do pick up their cross daily, every single day, and follow you well. But we realize we need you, we need your spirit, we need your word, we need your direction, and we need each other in that whole journey. So we ask that you would speak to us this morning and convict our hearts. Encourage our hearts. Take us out of this room with a spring in our step and able to be able to, be able to share who you are and live out who you are before uh, the community that surrounds us, wherever that may be, if it's at uh, Villanova or Eastern as a student, or if it's at work or it's in our neighborhoods or with our families as holidays come up. Father, we just ask that you would make us people that shine your light in the darkness. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, so as I said, we've been looking at Philippians, and today we find ourselves in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and if you want to follow along in your pew Bibles, it's page 802. Um, so chapter 2, verse, verses 1 through 11 in Philippians. And Paul, as we know, writes from prison uh, to a church who has and will experience persecution or suffering for the gospel, right? And he's reminding them, basically, that God's mission is worth their suffering for the sake of Christ's glory. And so for Paul, suffering and persecution, we have to remember our... Um, for, or, or for the sake of Christ, are always to the end of making Jesus known to all peoples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, right? Uh, it, so his suffering, his persecution, his willing to walk, willingness to walk through that is always for the sake of Jesus' last command, which is our first concern, and that is to make his name known among all nations. And in that process... Paul last week urged us, if you remember, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ no matter what happens, he said, right? And, and of being in one spirit, you know, this idea of unity in one spirit. And today he just continues these thoughts. Um, the Lord has been, I think, strumming on this chord of unity with us as a church uh, for months you know, I don't know if you've noticed, you know, sometimes it's been the central theme of the sermon. Sometimes it's, it's been this, uh, at least this directive sort of thumping bass note in the background. Um, so let's listen today as Paul takes us a little further in understanding as he says this in Philippians 2. Hey, married lady, how are you? Hope your honeymoon was great. You're probably, probably much happier to be back here listening to me, though, I, I would imagine. Anyway. Got married last week. Amen. Um, anyway, so he says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete uh, by being like minded. Those are important words, by the way. That's this is really where we're going to hover today. These words being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, when Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must uh, you know, deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. He was making sure that his followers would be willing to be living sacrifices for the furtherance of God's kingdom. But that, and we, we remember that that has to do everything with our thinking and our attitudes and even our moral conduct, right? You know, especially in relationship with one another and relationship with people in the world. And Paul is simply reiterating all of this. Remember last week we talked about being good citizens and, and living well under what the, the community of God deems as uh, decent and good moral conduct. That's not a popular message these days, but it is the message of the Scriptures. You know, Jesus, with all integrity, we can all honestly say, never sought to garner popular support. He didn't need your approval, right? Uh, He was after people who would be unwavering in devotion, right? That, that, that would own his character and his desires for this world. And therefore, they would become trustworthy even in crisis, even in suffering and persecution. And we remember that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, that seems almost arrogant to say if you think about it, right? kind of feels like he's prideful about it. But, but in essence, it's the exact opposite of pride. It is absolute humility. As believers, we are to be followers of Jesus, not just imitators in some ways. Following means letting Jesus live in and through us and to be what he was about in this world. Allowing Jesus to increase as we decrease, as John the Baptist said, letting all others see Jesus in our actions and our attitudes and our speech and, 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 our, and, and, and reflecting his central purpose of ushering in the, in the kingdom of God in this world. So it goes far deeper than just a facade. 
It gets down to the level of addressing even our own inter- internal desires and willingness to suffer for the sake of the others in this world. We can't just play act Jesus. We must actually become deeply concerned about others, about the peop- other people in this world, and their eternal salvation. If that's not on our mind and our hearts, we're not getting it. Paul's already said uh, that we should be of one spirit as we live in this world, you know, facing possible suffering and persecution and all that. And here he just takes these concepts a little bit deeper for us. So here he speaks of why Jesus came. He speaks of his attitude concerning his mission and his purpose in this world. And he allows us a peek at the, at the glory that, is, that, that it brings Christ in the end. Paul begins here with a bunch of if statements, but that's not to mean that he sort of doubts their devotion or he questions their resolve. Remember, he held the Philippian church in high regard. He felt very close to them. He was, he was proud of them in a sense, you know. They are simply meant to be truth statements, right? As if to say, you already have encouragement from being united with Christ. You already have comfort from His love and common sharing in the Spirit and tenderness and compassion due to Jesus, many of which we have here in this church, I think. I believe that. You know, as I speak to people that are like thinking about becoming our worship leader when Vinnie and Mary take off, you know, I speak very highly of you guys. You're a good church. And I really do mean that. You know, so he's saying all this stuff, and he's saying, as a result of all that, what you have in Jesus and what you have together, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking out to your own interests, but but to the interests of others. Which all deal with our interactive relationships. How we treat others and interact as a community is either a positive or a negative witness in this world. In short, we are to be Jesus to the world, right? And we've all too often, I think everybody is familiar with it, heard of how the negative view of the church has been fed and driven along by the sad actions and attitudes of a few and how they have treated others in the church or in the world. And whether that be the sick indulgence of errant desire behind closed doors, or that be the damage of pride and insecurity and victimhood, or that be the unbridled anger which seems, you know, so many seem to self-justified in expressing today. I've never seen the country so divided and people so angry. It's sad. And we don't need to revisit all those examples. We are all already all, you know, very familiar with it all. You know, we know those stories. But we have to remember that negative advertising spreads faster than positive, right? That if you have a dissatisfied customer, they'll tell a hundred people. But if you have a satisfied customer, they'll tell only a few. We have to grow in our self-awareness, Right? to grow up as we grow old in the faith. But the sad fact is that we'll only be young once, but many of us choose to be spiritually and emotionally immature for a lifetime. 
If we don't understand how our personal words and actions affect the whole of the church witness, even in our private moments, we've not achieved any great level of spiritual maturity. Think about social media posts, right? In no other place right now do people feel the freedom to sort of just vomit up what might be, uh, might, might never be expressed in polite company otherwise, right? As a result, we are afforded a glimpse into the true nature of their character as we could in no other way. And some of you are probably cringing right now thinking about the posts that you've written this week. Think about the posts that some Christians simply like of others. It's amazing that some who seem to be really solid Christians like the posts of others which reflect the exact opposite Christian values and beliefs and conducts. It's crazy to watch that happen. There is no reason to applaud the sin of another by liking and approving the wrong words and behavior and conduct of them. As a matter of fact, in 99.9% of the time, it is, it's better not to react at all. And sometimes looking out for the interests of others means to lovingly confront their sin in a private way, face-to-face, prayerfully and lovingly and care, carefully. But that often doesn't go well. We know that. But we're still called to do it. We're still called to do it. Because how does a person grow if we simply applaud wrong behavior and ideas? This is where the, the faith of Christ in us, where, where the rubber hits the road, where it really gets true community, not false community, right? Liking is approval. It is. It's approval. And even though those actions and words contradict the mind of Christ, I don't think we should do, be doing that. Sorry to say. Consider how you act and react to people at work or in a restaurant or any walk of life. We are ambassadors of Christ, but sometimes it's as if we leave Jesus in the sanctuary when we exit on Sunday mornings, right? The the negative few always get the sound bite, don't they? But thankfully, thankfully, there is a positive note here. Because quietly in the background, there are many believers that don't engage in all the vitriol, but they lead quiet, sort of faithful lives for the sake of others, don't they? Like the Philippians had been doing. Amen to that. One evangelical Christian recently wrote about this uh, silent majority in his social media. He said this. It's kind of lengthy, but I want to read it. He said, there are many evangelical Christians who have zero social media influence, quietly living their lives, working, raising families, and trying to do their best to make the world a better place. And I'd say, I know many unseen people doing amazing things without broadcasting any of it on social media platforms. I think about you guys when I think about what he's saying, right? So I'm not being punitive to us. I am just reminding us like Paul is reminding the Philippian church. But this guy continues. He said, in one instance, I know of a husband and a wife who've adopted six special needs children. They have done all this from the heart of love in hiddenness. They're conservative evangelical Christians. The American church is filled with very good regular people who practice a very realized faith by doing things like caring for the poor, the downtrodden, the outcast, and the orphan. We can't 
fully trust the Twitter zealots for the whole story. Let's all back away from the extreme sweeping generalizations because the devil is in the lack of details. Amen. Good. Those are good words. They're true words. Paul's statement to follow him as he follows Christ is the exact opposite of arrogance. It is humility. He's saying, I'm following Christ. And if you do need a living, breathing, honest example of a good try, follow me as I follow Jesus. I'm not perfect. None of you are perfect. But, you know, I would say to somebody, follow me, man. Let's go into it. I'm trying. I'm at least trying, right? Paul outlines the idea of being of one spirit further when he uses these very important terms like being like-minded, having the same love, having the same mindset, being of one mind. You know, it's difficult to imagine taking on somebody else's mind, somebody else's thoughts, right? But that's exactly what Paul's saying, to take on the mind of Christ There was an old movie, if you're old enough, you'll remember this. Anybody over 50 is going to nod, right? It was a comedy with Gene Wilder and Marty Feldman called Young Frankenstein. Yeah, some people remember this. Great movie. Marty Feldman uh, plays the part of Igor, and he had these, he was an actor with these weird googly eyes. They went like two different ways. And, um, Dr. Frankenstein is played by Gene Wilder, and he always had wild hair. He couldn't control his hair, right? Kind of like Bob Dylan hair or something like that. And Dr. Frankenstein sends Igor to the local brain depository, as if there were were one, to get a brain for his monster creation. He's creating Frankenstein. And, but Igor is kind of stupid, and, and he's taking, as he's taking the brain of a great scientist, this really genius guy off the shelf, he drops it and breaks it and ruins the brain. So he just like shrugs, and he picks up the one next to it named Abnormal, right? <laughs> and so when, you know, when the fo- this monster's created and he's found out to be kind of stupid and awkward, Dr. Fra- Frankenstein realizes it's not the, the brain that he wanted. So he asks Igor, what was the name of the jar? And he goes, Feldman says, oh, I'd be someone. Ah, oh, yes, I'd be normal. I'd be normal. That was it, right? It was just a funny, funny movie. You know, we've seen heart transplants, but I've yet to see a brain transplant, right? I've never seen that. It's never happened, I don't think, to to my knowledge. But that's exactly what we are asked to do as Christians, to have a brain transplant with Jesus, right? Paul's urging having the same mind within us as it is in Jesus. And we know, let me just remind you, that we know uh, Christ through the hearing of His Word, Romans 10.17 says, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about the scriptures. But before we heard his word, I became a Christian when I was 21. I, you know, I, I, I had not really read the Bible. I hadn't thought anything about all this garbage, you know, but not garbage, but you know what I mean. But but before we heard his word, right, we had our own thoughts. We had our own values. We had our own beliefs. And by the way, they're not really our own. They're the culture around us. We just adopt it all and think it's ours. We're not that smart. And as Jesus says, and as King, he says, 
To be my follower, you have to ha- take on my mind. You have to have my thoughts. And Paul proceeds to tell us exactly what that mind looks like. You know, Jesus' mind, if you think about it, led him to do what was exactly necessary for our salvation. He obeyed God the Father for our sake, giving freely and willingly His life upon the cross to forgive and to redeem us. It's a total selfless act. His mind led Him to do anything necessary to make us right with God, thinking of us, not Himself. If we're to have the mind of Christ, what we need is a complete attitude adjustment. A complete attitude adjustment. And that doesn't mean some weak, pale adoption of ethereal ideas of love and grace and mercy as the culture around us defines them or defined only by the individual in what they want and desire in life and how they want to feel good. It actually means great sacrifice in us. It entails repentance. A turning around, an overhaul of our worldview and our thinking. Coming under Christ. That's what it means. True sacrificial love calls us higher in life. It, it confronts the wrong thinking and the attitudes which lead to immoral, sinful, destructive attitudes and actions for the betterment of the individual and all of society. When I am in Christ and I'm walking in Christ, I am a much better citizen of the world because I'm a great citizen of the kingdom. Peace comes through that. It's an adoption of everything that is communicated in the Scriptures because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, I, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Meaning that all of the teachings of the Bible, including the ever-consistent moral law by which Jesus calls us upward in reflection of the Godhead, doesn't change. And as Paul stated earlier, to live a life worthy of the calling is a reference, as we said last week, to the moral law that governs the kingdom of God. So it matters what you do in your body. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Jesus is actually equated with the Word. Famous verses, right? It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God, so it puts a personal pronoun on there. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. The Word even has creative power. So Jesus embodies every jot and tittle of the Scriptures, every little mark, which is why it is so important that we come at the Scriptures knowing that we are reading the very thoughts of God and that we meet Jesus in them. And this makes things like a simple daily quiet time in the Scriptures, right? Or or Scripture memory or prayer during that time and fellowship Uh, you know, with other Christians, all vital for the Christian life. You cannot live the Christian life with those things. You think you can. You think you can go to church once a month and you're going to be walking with Jesus. Well, no, it's not true. It's not true. You need the church. 
You need the scriptures. You need that interaction. You need that challenge and that sharpening together. And as it's stated in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. We don't conform to the patterns of this world. We don't conform ourselves to the worldview of this world out there and everything that we're being taught through all the social media and all the news and everything else. We don't conform to that, but we are rather transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then, and only then, will we be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen to that. It is by the Scriptures, the very mind of God, that we know Jesus more fully and that we are transformed into His likeness. It's not the only avenue, but it is one of the biggest avenues for the Christian life. The mindset of Jesus must impact and overcome all that we are, body, soul, heart, and mind. It's in taking on the mind of Christ where where unity is truly found in the church. We come under Jesus and we're unified under that. And then witness flourishes in the world as a result of that. And again, that comes through the regular engagement of those spiritual formation practices like a daily quiet time. And let me reiterate that there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of great pastors and good congregants out there walking with and trying to do their best to make this world a better place and it's the few negative get to get the sound bite so let's give up our criticism of the church just for the few negative because you don't even know who those people are you don't even know what's really going on in their heart you know the wheat grows up with the tares right we we don't think that when you look out on a crowd not everybody's walking with jesus i'm sorry to say it's this the truth but everybody's welcome right So I have to reiterate that. It's very popular to criticize the church. And I think it's unfair. I think it's really unfair. Paul mentions three things concerning Jesus in this passage. First, he, he, uh, that he empties himself, right? You know, and, and as, and that is witnessed in the incarnation, if we look at it, meaning that Jesus, as God, took on the flesh of a man, that he came into our reality. John said in, in chapter 1, verse 14 of his gospel, he said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as, as, the, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The literal truth and Word of God became flesh and walked among us. Jesus never promoted his equality with God, but neither did he shy away from it either, right? In John 10, 30, Jesus said, the Father and I are one, and the Jewish leaders tried to stone him because they knew that he he made himself equal with God by saying that statement. He didn't shy away from it. Jesus never denied or laid aside his divine nature, but he did forfeit the privileges for a time for our sake. He emptied himself by taking the form of a man, a servant or a slave, right? The lowest position possible that he could have, an attitude that is revealed in his washing of the disciples' feet at final Passover before his death. Remember that. Beyond this, Jesus didn't count his godly status and and his authority as something to be exploited. He didn't manipulate us. He didn't control us. 
The Greek word used there is, is uh, uh, you know, kind of expresses seizing, seizing something like a prize, taking hold of it, nah, you know. But being in very nature God, Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And it was exactly this which began our troubles, if you remember, when Adam and Eve, you know, believed a lie, sparking this desire to be like God. It's exactly what that was. But thankfully, we have models. We have great models like Paul. We have great models like King David who said in Psalm 84.10, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather be the lowest dude in the palace of my king than to be out there counted with all those people that aren't walking with him. That's humility from a king, right? Which brings us to the second thing revealed about Jesus here, that Jesus humbled himself, right? And this humility is seen in verse 7 where he made himself nothing, he made no reputation, deliberately and willingly humbling himself to the point of becoming a human being and walking among us. If you think about that, that's pretty incredible. And we first see that in his birth, right? As he's laid in a dirty manger in Luke 2, 2, 12, we see that throughout his life. He pointed out very clearly that foxes have voles and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We see it, when, when, as, as I mentioned before, that he washed the disciples' feet, a position reserved for the very lowliest of servants, which ended by him saying, if I... If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Amen to that. I like when Vinny washes my feet. It's nice. It's nice. (laughs) You're going to miss me. I know you're going to miss me. I know. But his humility is seen the clearest, right? In his obedience to a torturous death on a cross. The word excruciating is actually derived from that term crucifixion. You can hear it right in the middle of it, right? The most degrading of deaths hung on a tree for everybody to see and make fun of and jeer at and laugh at and all that kind of stuff. Deuteronomy 21-23 states, anyone crucified was under God's curse. And, and certainly Jesus was cursed for us. Which brings us to the very third thing revealed here that Jesus sacrificed himself, right? The ultimate sacrifice, as promised in Isaiah 53.12 for the coming Messiah, prophesied way back when, when it said, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great. This sounds like the end of chapter 2 in Philippians, right? Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. Jesus voluntarily emptied and humbled and sacrificed Himself for us and He calls us to the same mindset towards others for the sake of His mission and His glory. Not my American dream. He didn't just come to bless me so I can feel good for the rest of my life and then die, right? And go to heaven. Which has you know, all has implications in, in, in every relationship of life. You know, parent and child and spouse and friend and neighbor and f- uh, foreigner and co-worker, people that you haven't met. 
As Romans 12, 1 and 2 dictates, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, willingly and voluntarily sacrificing our needs and desires and wants in this world. And that is what is truly acceptable life in Christ to God. You know, as Paul said, we are called not just to believe on Him, this is from chapter 1, but to suffer for Him as He did for us. And as Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And as the, the end result of that, of Jesus emptying and humbling and sacrificing Himself, was at the end of that little passage, God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to, to the glory of God the Father. So the way up is actually down. The way to greatness is actually through servitude. It's through humility. It's through sacrifice, right? James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Jesus said in Matthew 23, the greatest among you will be your servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Why do you invite it into your life? Ephesians 5.8 says, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so live as children of light. Live a life worthy of your calling. So, let's silence the vitriol. Let's be the people of peace. Let's be the people of salvation. Let's offer our lives and our bodies as living sacrifices. Let's be humble and empty ourselves to be filled with the mind of God. Let's give our time and our devotion to the Word in healthy, quiet times to assimilate Jesus' heart and Jesus' thoughts which prepare us and enable us to be about His mission and His glory among all peoples. Because it's going to get harder. Sorry to say Let's lay down our lives for the sake of salvation in others. Let's Let's make Jesus' last command our very first concern. And it is promised. It is promised, not from me, but from the Scriptures over and over again that like Him, you will be lifted up because the way up is truly the way down.